You're listening to an Air Books podcast. Hey guys, it's Aiden of Aiden's Books, and I'm here with Mommy. Welcome to Parenting and Bonding with Children's Books. Our episodes are recorded first via video. For the full experience, check out the video interview on my Facebook page, Aiden's Books. Next, you'll hear Mommy doing the interview. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Parenting and Bonding with Children's Book podcast, where we believe that books are magic and have the power to transform homes. On this podcast, we talk to the authors behind the magic to find out their true intentions behind the books. And tonight, we are here with the author, Pyle. Hi, Pyle. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for letting me be on your podcast today. Oh, I was so excited to have you back. Um, If you guys are familiar with the show or just with Aiden's books, you might remember that Pyle came um, to us last year. It was last year and she read her book about reluctant speakers. Mm -hmm. Um, And let me remind myself of the title, Silent Sally Speaks. Yes. (laughs) And so I was like digging into what Pyle does. And I was like, this is awesome. Like we need to have her back for the podcast. So I'm so excited that you're here. Amazing. I'm so excited to be here and to share my work with everyone. I know the parents are going to be so excited. We get uh, many questions about this across our different platforms. So um, I'll just give you guys an intro uh, to, to Pyle and we'll get going from there. So Pyle Burnham is a registered speech language pathologist with the College of Audiologists and Speech Language Pathologists of Ontario. That was a mouthful for me. And she's a member of the American Speech Language Hearing Association. And so you guys can see why I was so excited to have her here. I know that a lot of parents parents deal with different things and just have questions in this space. So having an author um, with such credentials and experience is just amazing. And so she does have experience with preschool, school age, and adult populations in a variety of settings. And um, she was here before to read her book, Silent Sally Speaks, um, which is about reluctant speakers, but she also has she also has experience with autism and Down syndrome. And then Silent Sally Speaks is also selective mutism as well. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Correct. So again, did I what did I what did I miss? Um so in terms of uh, some of the other work that I do as well, so I do work yeah. with kids that um, have some speech-related concerns, so that okay. may have trouble uh, with articulation or pronouncing specific sounds, um, as well as stuttering, um, some voice-based concerns, um, and just going back to the articulation, so some of the other books, um, I do have a couple of other books in this series, so at least Lily's Lost Smile, um, this nice. one focuses on uh, the production of the L sound, so um it does focus on like the articulation aspect. So if your child is having trouble um, pronouncing that L, then then um, some of my books do focus on the articulation of different sounds. Okay. Thank you. And is your plan to go through all the sounds in your books? 
Yes, I'm really hoping I can get there. Um, I definitely do have a plan of going through a lot of the sounds, at least a lot of the, the common sounds that a lot of our children as they're developing to speak um, or developing their language skills um, that um, they have trouble with. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of focusing on sounds as as not necessarily sequentially, but um, more so based on the story. So I always think that it's great to have a good story versus just packing a book with words that target a specific sound. Um, so yeah. um, while I am thinking about the sounds, you know, I, I really want to make sure that the children really enjoy the book and are able to empathize with some of the characters or, um, you know, are able to relate uh, to some of the characters in the book some way. And so I think that um, that's what's kind of driving, driving a lot of the stories and a lot of the sounds, I guess, that I'm working on in my books. Got you. And that's why I love your book so much because of the stories um, in them. So if you had to tell us uh, like an elevator speech, what the stories in the books are outside of the sounds, what would you say? Sure. So, um, so with Silent Sally Speaks, um, mm -hmm. I don't know if um, you had the opportunity to be a part of that last podcast, but this um, generally follows a young little girl who is um, beginning a school or begin beginning to go to school or maybe going to a new school. And um, she's quite shy and anxious mm -hmm. about speaking in the classroom. Um, and she kind of um, becomes nicknamed Silent Sally and um, because, and all the kids learn that she, she doesn't really talk. Um, and so generally when it comes to opportunities in the classroom that encourage her, that require her to speak, um, a lot of the kids speak for her or make the comment, or Sally doesn't speak. So um, they mm. start teasing her a little bit and that just increases Sally's anxiety and kind of uh, makes her push away even more. So it's really about Sally kind of overcoming um, that challenge and that fear of uh, speaking in the classroom. Um, and, and, and having worked with um, a few students that have um, been selectively mute, it is quite a challenge. And I even remember working with this little girl um, in my practice um, and from her, for her because she started in kindergarten. A lot of the kids kind of... Um, came to know her as this little girl who didn't really speak, the minute a new person would come into the classroom and um, they would ask this little girl what her name was, all the kids would jump up and be like, oh, she doesn't talk. She doesn't speak. Mm, you know? okay. Her name is this. Um, so they would oft often speak for her and didn't really give her that opportunity to kind of come out of her shell. Um, so I had the opportunity to kind of observe her in the classroom and work with her one-on-one. -on -one. And surprisingly, I was able to kind of... Um, ease some of that anxiety you know help her understand that I was just a friend and that we would do some fun things together we worked on a lot of reading we actually read a lot of stories that pertain to her interests and kind of discussed different things and slowly but surely initially she wouldn't speak to me at all and then one day she whispered something she whispered hi um, and that eventually came to I think she started talking telling me the colors, her favorite colors. So she started whispering her colors and, and then nice. she started talking to me in a low voice. And then one day, which was so surprising out of the blue, um, you know, I, we were just carrying on with our session. I'm like, okay, we're going to read our book. And she was so excited about this book we were reading. It was about ponies. And I guess she has um, a love for horses. So the minute she saw the, the pony or the horse, she's like, oh, 
Horsey or something. And the oh. minute that came out, like it was, it was so nice to hear that minute that came out, she completely forgot about her fears. And I think one of the greatest things um, about her kind of gradually getting to that um, level of speaking was the fact that there wasn't anybody in the room to react to her to that change in communication, right? So even when she started to whisper, it was just very natural. There was no aha moment or there was no like, oh, there is her voice. There were no comments like that that were made to make her even oh, okay. more um, I think um, I think that was a, a, had to do a, a big part of it. So even when she screamed horses and I was thrilled in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, she did it. And I'm like dancing. I just carried through the session as if nothing had happened. And I think that was the key to really getting her so comfortable to be able to get her voice out there. That insight from you is so, um, so needed because I can also think about maybe, um, less, I'm not going to, I'll use the word severe, but less mm-hmm. severe situations where we are just afraid to make a, maybe like a positive change or something like that because of how people may react to it. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact that, you know, you worked with her and, you know, just so, so many good things there. It was a beautiful story for you even to just share. So that, that was great. Do you find that with, uh, and you called it, it's selective mutism, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. What are some other reasons that you've come across why a child may may choose not to speak or be hesitant, reluctant to speak? Well, you know what? I think one of the main reasons is it has to do with anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. There's generally factors in the environment that are causing that child to be anxious, especially if they already have a very shy personality. Um, if they're already a little bit more reserved, if they're a little bit more shy, um, sometimes that anxiety is there and we don't really recognize it. And even for parents who might be, you know, kind of uh, pushing their parents or their kids to, you know, like say hi, say hi to that person, right? They don't realize that in those moments that they're just increasing that anxiety, right? And not giving that child that chance to kind of go on their own time or when they're ready, right? Um, So many of these children, are highly anxious. Sometimes we do also see selective mutism when children don't have the language, um, when they realize that their ability to communicate, even use sentences within the classroom is quite limited compared to some of the other kids. And you'll be surprised, like children are quite bright, even at such a young age, and they will, they will kind of um, observe their peers and see what they're doing or what they're able to, what they're capable of communicating, and they will start comparing or making comparisons. And I think we all do that as humans, we just, you know, it's just a natural, innate instinct that we have when we like enter new situations. So a child going into a classroom who sees all these other kids being able to to use so much vocabulary or maybe even communicate in full sentences that child might be become a might become a uh, very aware of that and as a result kind of stop talking because they realize they don't have that ability or that skill level to be able to do so and this also goes for kids who may not be able to uh, pronounce sounds so when they realize that they're not able to be clear 
And even though they've mm -hmm. tried and they haven't, um, and there's been a lot of repetition on their part, or they've always been asked for clarification, you might see that in some of those kids as well, who just kind of become a little bit more reserved and then just kind of stop talking because they realize they're not getting anywhere um, with being able to deliver their message appropriately. So a few different reasons for sure, but um, yeah. generally speaking for kids who are selectively mute, um, it definitely has to do a lot with it, that anxiety piece for sure. Thank you for that. And uh, I feel like we speak so much in the group about the power and the magic of books and how reading to our children is so important because we give them words in order to be able to express themselves. And one of my next questions for you was, I guess, around the books, like you have so many tools at your fingertips as a speech pathologist to be able to use um, when dealing with different communities and different, I guess, conditions. Why books? Why did you decide to start writing books? Well, that's a great question. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think children's books have always been um, a great interest of mine. I love books and I use them so often when it comes to um doing what I do, right? So in mm -hmm. a lot of my therapy sessions, a book is definitely there because I think it just really allows us to see the extent of a child's language and how much they're able to, uh, what, how much they know and also how where they can go from, you know, what they know and you can build upon so many different skills. Um, but for myself and my writing, I think that just kind of came in the spur of the moment. Um, you know, I gave a birth to a daughter a couple years ago and there was one night I was just um, sitting and, you know, I was putting her to sleep and I was thinking about a student that I had worked with um, who was selectively mute, in fact. And yeah. um, I was just looking for a book to try to see if I could uh, find something that where the student would be able to kind of empathize with the character, where they, where she could kind of relate to a character mm -hmm. um, to help her through some of those feelings and emotions that, you know, that typically accompany um, selective mutism. So... Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to find a book or something like related to that topic, I was having a hard time coming up or finding something that I really wanted. And so I'm like, okay, let me let me try writing something. So I started like took my phone out on my notes app, started like jotting down a few notes. Yeah. And then initially it was supposed to simply be more of like a social story. And I don't know if a lot of you know what social stories are, but generally social stories are around more like social rules or social expectations expectations of what you can do in different scenarios right um, so I was started I was thinking about a sto social story but as I started writing it turned into more of a narrative so it turned into more of an actual story following a girl and then I remember running downstairs like the next morning after I had had like put a rough draft together roughly um, and I told my husband I'm gonna write a children's story and he's like you know haha you know laughing it off right and and you know lo and behold um it became a reality so yeah that's how it kind of started and after that first book that I read I'm like okay I can write another one um and I think I think having my daughter around it has been a blessing in disguise only because I find a lot of my stories kind of develop around things that she teaches me or, or things that we do together. And, and I think that's how a lot of the stories come about. And I think that's been really, really exciting for me. 
Yes, thank you for that. And I think uh, reading a book from a perspective such as yours as a speech pathologist is so is so important. And um, you have a newer book, right? King Lee's Great Escape. Mm-hmm. And the title is a little, for me, it was different than your other yeah. two books. I'm like, oh, okay, because we introduced an animal as mm-hmm. the <laughs> main character. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so when I saw that come out from you, I was like, okay, this is interesting. So tell us about King Lee's Great Escape. Sure. So um, King Lee's Great Escape, it's about um, a cat um, mm-hmm. who he himself is quite um, quite reserved and shy. He's, he, he's almost the perfect cat in that, you know, he... He basically follows all the rules, right? He he um, he knows where to find his food. He never has accidents. Know where, knows where his litter box is. Um, he's loved by the family that he's with. Um, but then things start to change because we have a new family member who arrives, and um, Kingsley, being the only kind of little kiddo in the household if you will um initially he's getting all the attention but once this kid arrives he's not really getting all of that attention anymore and so he becomes quite skeptical of this new new kid that's in the household and um it just kind of follows his journey and how he kind of kind of learns to manage or learns to cope with having another family member around that is that has to kind of oh, like that he has to share his time and I guess his love with. So um, yeah, it's a really nice, I'm, I'm hoping heartwarming little story about this mm-hmm. cat and his journey to really, I guess, accept this new kid in the household, but also for him and learning to kind of deal with that. So yeah, that's what Kingsley's um, Great Escape is about. And um, with Kingsley, it does focus on the K sound, the K, which is, general and earlier developing sound so we um if you have kids in like kindergarten four or five even six years of age this is a great book because um that sound is generally um the sound that we're kind of looking at around that those ages yeah okay well kingsley is adorable (laughs) (laughs) and so the l sound that that's great that you said that with the with the k sound or Mm. what you said yeah the ages. So what about Lily's Lost Smile? The, the the sound focused on in on that book. What age range would you say parents should start paying attention to that? Yeah. So uh, when we're thinking about the L's, um, L's in the beginning and in the middle of the word typically start emerging around three and a half, um, between three and four years of age. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, those L's at the end of the words, those are a little bit later developing. So sometimes we may not target that until around five or six even. Um, okay. So it's a a huge range, but if you do notice your child struggling with the L, especially at the end, and they're around, you know, almost five, maybe six, um, that's probably a good time to really start addressing that. Okay, thank you for that. And your illustrations, you know, Mm -hmm. all of your books are so adorable. Um, Can you tell us about your illustrator? Are you using the same one for each book? Um, so for the first two books, I did use the first of the same illustrator. Um, okay. And that was through um, Tell Well Talent, um, the publishing company that published the books. Um, for Kingsley, I decided to take a different uh, route. And I tried, I hired my own illustrator. Um, her name oh, is exciting. Sarah. 
Yeah, it, it was quite exciting. It was really quite interesting in terms of finding an illustrator that uh, would um, kind of meet my vision of, you know, what I wanted for the books. And I think she did a fantastic job with Kingsley. Um, so she she is um, an illustrator actually from the Philippines. So, um, okay. you know, just given like the... Um, I guess time difference and stuff, you know, it's, it's surprising what we're able to do virtually nowadays, you know, we've, we've definitely entered a new world. Um, but uh, yeah, so I kind of uh, explained my vision to her and she seemed to be able to, you know, produce these really cute illustrations. And I think she's done a great job. So hopefully for the next book, um, we'll, we'll try to see if uh, we can use her again. Okay. And with Kingley's Great Escape, what do you want families to walk away with after reading the book? Um, I think this story is really about um, acceptance. Um, mm -hmm. It's about love and acceptance and being okay with change. I know um, mm -hmm. even if we're thinking about um, some of our kiddos who may be younger and are still kind of developing and trying to learn what their role is within the world, or even if we're thinking about um, some of our students with special needs, um, if they have like autism, for instance, um, sometimes understanding the size of the problem and understanding that, you know, maybe what a small problem is for us might be a big problem for them and understanding, you know, um, what an appropriate reaction to that problem would be. Um, I think that's a really um, key concept, I guess, in this book. So, so it's really about acceptance, understanding what the problem is and how to kind of overcome it and what might be an appropriate solution to that. So I think um, that would be a nice message that families learn to take away and hopefully that kids come to understand and learn as well. I'm noticing that you're mentioning the anxiety around change quite a bit. Mm -hmm. it, is, is that what you come across most in, in your practice as like the reason for some of these, of course, not like autism or Down syndrome, but mm -hmm. in some of the other cases, do you think it's mostly based in anxiety? Not always. Um, okay. I think, I think Recently, the population that I've been working with, um, definitely anxiety is a huge factor. Sometimes mm -hmm. it, it definitely, um, the diagnosis or even like the family dynamic has to uh, deal a lot with it as mm -hmm. well. Um, like for instance, if, I, if we're thinking about our, our kids who might have um, just some um, articulation concerns or, you know, okay. that are struggling with specific sounds, anxiety might not really be the case. I think that's just more like a developmental um, area, right, where they're still kind of learning how to um, move their tongue and move the parts of their mouth to be able to produce the sound accurately. So I think that's a little bit more um, developmental. And I think it, it comes with time and comes with practice. Um, mm -hmm. But for some of our other kiddos who might um, have more complex needs or more complex profiles, um, you know, anxiety definitely has to do with it or, or even just not even anxiety, but even just being able to uh, adapt to change. Um, I think mm -hmm. that's a, that's a big piece for a lot of them. Cause we talk a lot about transitions, even in when working in schools, we talk a lot about, okay, is that child going to be able to transition? Um, mm. And I just, I think 
I think it's probably, I think I, my focus has kind of shifted there because, you know, just even given the pandemic, you know, yeah. it's always, we have to be ready to pivot, right? Even with school, like we're doing virtual and then we're back in the classroom and then we're back to virtual again. So everything's always been over the last couple of years, I should say, has been about that change and um, how students are adapting and responding to that. So I think that's probably where that theme has been come stemming from um, for at least my last book and um, the other two too. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that explanation. I was just noticing that quite a bit. And I'm like, hmm, what, what can we do? <laughs> what can we do here? I'm always looking for I'm like, what is my next book about? <laughs> I'm always looking for what are the signs for parents that may be an issue and what can we be doing at home to to help? And your books are definitely a great foundation, you know, and a start. Mm-hmm. Um and so I don't know, because you deal with so many different populations and so many different um, issues. I guess, what is one of the main things that you see present coming into your office? And is there anything that parents can do or look for around it? Around it? Um, Sure. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the main... um, the, one of the main concerns that parents do bring up is definitely it has to do with the communication aspect. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, my child is not talking or my child has words, but they're not using sentences yet. And even that, um, that social interaction piece is huge. So my kid um, is speaking, but he doesn't want to play with his brother or sister, or he's not engaging with peers um, in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of um, that, I think, um, has to do with just kind of stepping away, I think, from the immediate scene and just kind of t- kind of taking a step back and observing your child. I think we sometimes uh, rush into kind of jumping to conclusions or we rush into thinking that our child is struggling with something when they, they might not be. Um, and we're not just giving them their time or their... Um, or not giving them space, I should say, to be able to kind of develop some of those skills on their own time and um, independently. Or even, I think, just taking a step back and observing what your child is doing will give us a lot of information on how we need to support and how maybe we need to kind of scaffold um, to help them to get to that that skill level that we're looking for to get to that point where they're able to use sentences um, more effectively. So I think really that observation, like that observe, wait, listen is Mm -hmm. huge, Um, especially before we, before we decide to kind of jump into um, different ways or different strategies of how to support. I think we need to understand what's going on first. Thank you. And I know in the beginning, we talked about how you use books in in your practice and just in your work um, quite a bit, you said, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we're talking about like autism and Down syndrome, I don't know if this is going to be too complex of a question because I haven't fully thought it out all the way, but how can books help there? Like, how do you use books as a tool um, Mm -hmm. in those situations? So, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about a student with complex needs um, or like um, a diagnosis with autism, for example, um, mm-hmm. one of the best things about books, especially picture books, is that they're quite visual, right? Mm-hmm. And our we know with our students with autism, even Down syndrome, a lot of them are visual learners and they, they have a really... Um, 
um, great ability to their visual memory is generally stronger than their auditory memory. So even um, as you're telling a story, if they can kind of re reference a visual, um, that only will boost their comprehension versus if we were, if we were just having some text on a page and getting them to try to visualize what's going on. Um, our kids respond to visuals. They're a reference point and it really supports not only their vocabulary development to, you know, for them to comprehend what's happening in the picture, but also um, for them to be able to extract the meaning of the text, right? So I think the picture books are, are great for them. And, and definitely, like I said, they, they act as that visual reference to be able to support some of their language skills as well as their comprehension, which generally is a, a big area of concern for our students with autism as well as Down syndrome sometimes. Yeah, and your perspective as a speech pathologist is is this is the first time I'm I'm speaking to somebody on this platform with your experience. And I'm sure that just what you said uh, just now really helped to facilitate your um, your work with your illustrator as mm -hmm. well. Because I don't think a lot of authors have that perspective on a relationship. Maybe, maybe I overspoke, but your unique perspective, right? A lot of them don't have that when it comes to the relationship between the text and the illustrations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I definitely pay attention to the detail in the picture a lot more and um, mm. the types of colors that are used or um, even um, the amount that's going on in the picture. Right. Um, so um, I think that is huge as well, because we don't want something that's too overstimulating for some of our kids that uh, with special needs. Right. Because then you're just going to lose them completely. But kind of keeping it simple um, and related to the text um, that you have, I guess, that accompanies the picture. Um, I think that's a, a key point for sure. Awesome. Thank you. Is there, uh, this comes up a lot with dyslexia, but this is not, I know parents of children with special needs are always wondering, what should we look for in books? Like how, and your books are are perfect, you know, for this. Besides the pictures, what different elements do you think you added to your books in consideration of children with special needs? Um, I think if there's a, a somewhat of a teaching component that's embedded, um, so mm -hmm. definitely look at the, looking at the illustrations. But if there is um, some books do come with um, kind of almost like instructions for families in terms of, you know, how it's meant to be read. Some some books are meant to be kind of read by by the, the child and parents are just simply supporting their reading. Some books are mm -hmm. meant to be read by the parent and then discussing and um, discussing, I guess, important vocabulary. Um, I think things like that, if there's any, um, a little bit of a, um, some instructions, I think that's really helpful. But vocabulary is key, I think, as well. Yeah. So if books do accompany a list of vocabulary, even if it's not, um, even even if it's not related to the book, but you know, maybe like grade level vocabulary or age level vocabulary that parents can follow and um, kind of teach and kind of discuss on their own outside of reading the book, I think that's um, that's definitely key to not only develop like emergent literacy skills, but that will also facilitate. Um, comprehension and vocabulary development as well. Okay. And you talked about books, certain books being for like the child to read and books being for the parent to read yeah. and just support. In writing your books, how did you intend for parents to use, use the books? 
Right. So I think um, I intended the parents to be the main readers, the main um, readers of my book, but um, definitely using it as more of an instructional tool. Um, mm -hmm. So while the books can be read like a story, um, which um, I think hopefully they, they are good stories just to be read like that. <laughs> The goal was for educators to be able to use the book and then engage in a discussion of some of the vocabulary that's either used or to engage in discussions about maybe the feelings or, or emotions that the child's going through um, mm -hmm. and having that child empathize with the character that's um, illustrated in the story. So I think with um, Silent Sally, um, I do have some questions actually within the book that parents can use or educators can use to discuss um, not only what's happening in the story and kind of navigating the feelings and emotions of Sally in the book, but mm -hmm. also how they are feeling, how their child is feeling, um, and how um, they might be navigating the same situation or that same scenario. Um, so it's definitely more educator focused to for educators to be able to read the books with their kid. But like I said, I think um, the stories on their own are quite um great i mean of course i'm yeah. biased but i think they're quite great and so <laughs> even if you were to read even if you were to read them you know as like a bedtime story or a story you know with your child on a weekend i think they they serve as great books on their own as well okay and kingley's great escape is your newest release did you want to i'll leave you on the screen you can show a couple pages if you want okay Absolutely. yeah so kingley's great escape um it came out uh, before the holidays, and um, like I said, it focuses on the K sound. Um, so in the book, we do have a list of K words again for parents who are might want to work on um, the K uh, sound with their child. Um, and here are some books. So this is Kingsley. There. I'll just show you a couple more pages. Cool. There we go. All right. So hopefully that gives you a good idea. And I mean, the, the illustrations are quite bright and colorful. So hopefully that uh, engages your child in, in wanting to read this book. I think it's a fun book to read. Thank you. Thank you so much for showing. Showing the inside pages. Is there anything else that you want parents educators to know about your books um no i mean please look out for more there is another one coming and the next one's going to be focusing on dyslexia um so uh, definitely look out um for um, emails follow me on my instagram and facebook pages um check out my website for any updates or events that might be happening um especially as things start to open up and go back to somewhat of a normal i'm hoping to be able to hold more author events to be able to invite parents to to you know discuss any sort of concerns that they have um, with respect to their children's speech and language development or even just discuss the books in general and how they can be used with their uh, with their children or students so um, yeah just definitely follow me and um, look out for um, a new book coming out uh, probably in the spring Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And I've been putting up on the screen where you can find uh, Pyle. You can find her at teacherspeechbooks.com.
And then also her Facebook and IG are first, Teach to Speech Books, and then on Twitter at Teach to Speech. And I'm excited, uh, very excited about your next book. I've read your first two. I have not read Kingsley yet, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also excited about the next one coming out, uh, focusing on dyslexia. I know that uh, I often hear questions when I'm choosing books for parents, if they reach out for book recommendations, they often ask, um, do you have books that are friend... how do you say it, that are friendly for children who may have dyslexia? So, so interested in that. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thank you, friends. No problem. All right. Everybody have a great night and thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.